Chapter 37 The Hare About a week into the journey, Leah took off her boots and tied them behind the saddle. The soft cheese stirrups were designed for barefoot riding, and the black mare responded to a lighter touch. Besides, her socks were beyond redemption. She sat naked on the river bank, eyes closed to the dappled sunlight, and listened to water running over pebbles. A pair of dippers, white-bibbed, busied themselves in the shallows, and a yellow wagtail skipped from stone to stone. Her jeans, ripped in several places, hung dripping on a furze bush beside the remains of the lumberjack shirt. Washing her clothes with wood ash in lieu of soap had mixed results, but the fine day tempted her, and the absence of her escorts, who said that they would be back by nightfall. Leah was tasked with minding the three horses, now grazing the rich riverbank grass. A lark sang high above them. According to the she, the horses needed a rest day, but Leah, who understood their language better than they thought, had heard them discussing a raid on a neighbouring tribe. Aid had a low boredom threshold and constantly sought adventure. Trian saw himself as a balancing influence and maintained that he was going along to keep an eye on him. Leah was not sure what the object of the excursion was and hoped that it did not involve cattle. She wasn't sure if the brothers could resist an unsupervised herd. She waded the stream, her feet tender on the stones, and went in search of fresh nettles and hawthorn leaves. Foraging came easily to her, and she had learnt to gather the leaves, avoiding sting and thorn. The fat white grubs that burrowed between the tree roots were less alluring, but they were a delicacy to the she, and presumably nutritious. She squatted and dug. Sunlight broke through the trees and warmed her naked back. Green shoots were everywhere in the woods, seedlings and saplings, bramble and briar, and the soil stirred with life. She wore two leather pouches, straps crossing between her freckled breasts, leaving her hands free. Leah's careful fingers plucked juicy grubs from their moorings, replaced worms, and let the acrid beetles continue on their way. Absorbed, she lost track of time until, realising that she needed to check on the horses, she stood to go. The pouches rested on each hip, heavier now. Then, for no particular reason, she glanced back over her shoulder at the place between the trees, scuffed as though by badgers, and felt a flash of déjà vu. The trees, and the rocks and the angle of the light brought her back to the shoot in Kobe, and it seemed in that moment that those photographs, exploitative in so many ways, were a pointer towards this other point in her life. Once again she was in the woods, alone and almost naked, but this time with purpose, gathering grubs for hungry she, she reflected, wading back across the stream. Who knew? The horses clustered in the shade of the willows on the far bank. The two bays stood nose to tail, flicking flies from each other's faces, and Dove lay curled like a cat with her hooves under her. Every now and then she took a mouthful of grass and chewed sleepily. 
Her head became heavier and heavier, eyelids drooping, until she fell asleep with her nose propped on the ground. Then her nose slipped forward and she woke with a start. Leah hung the bags of forage on low branches, one firmly knotted to prevent the egress of bugs, and curled up against the mare's velvety flank. She thought of the rabbit snares, which needed to be checked, and of firewood, and of the she, returning in the twilight with tales of daring do. But the evening seemed far off, and the day was warm. Dove will wake me in a minute, she thought. But the mare slept too. Leah woke to the sound of she laughter. Wake up, little red squirrel, said Trian and she. We have something for you. She stood up, rubbing her eyes. Dove planted her two front hooves and heaved herself upright, grunting. She stretched her back legs, one after the other, and wandered down to the river to drink. Come, Aid said. It is too early in the year to be naked. He held out a she-garment, like one of their own but smaller and more intricately made. Leah stroked the rich brown fur. Pine Martin, she thought, from the markings. She slipped it on. Aid and Trian nodded approvingly. Wait there. Leah ran behind the bushes. She emerged, catwalk style, and strode theatrically along the riverbank, glaring down on all she saw with queenly scorn. At the end of the flat ground, she turned on her heel, swinging the garment out behind her with a flourish, and stalked back to the hawthorn tree. The she laughed heartily, getting none of the references, but appreciating the theatricality of it all. Leah ran down the bank to thank them. It is beautiful, she said. Did you have to kill anyone? She wasn't entirely serious, but then again, you never knew. We did not fight, said Aid regretfully. The fort was unguarded. Any cattle? Yes, Trian said. This is the reason that we woke you. We must leave before the pursuit begins. Before they had left the shipwreck, Leah had overheard the conversation between Foylon and his brothers, in which they had promised to bring her directly to the gateway, with no diversions, no contact with any other she, and absolutely no cattle raids. Aidan Trian had sworn on everything that the she held dear, but the temptation was clearly too much for them. Also, they were unaware of how much Leah understood. Over the hill, three longhorn cattle stood, looking bemused. At least it's not a bull, Leah thought, retrieving her still damp clothes from the furze bushes. Bulls were more trouble, the brothers claimed, but also highly prized, and their theft was more likely to bring violent reprisals. We will go north, Trian decided, into the mountains. Leah was pretty certain that the gateway lay in another direction entirely, but she said nothing. The brother's excitement was infectious, and she assumed, correctly, that being included on a she-cattle raid was a tremendous compliment. She saddled her horse and mounted. There were several hours of daylight ahead of them.
we found them grazing outside the fort, Aid said, inferring that it would almost have been rude not to steal them. Drian, who had the best eyesight, rode ahead. Leah and Aid stayed back to herd the cattle. Leah had not done this before, but Dove knew exactly what she was doing. The red cow was keen to return home and escaped repeatedly, calling to her lost companions as she plunged through the ditch and galloped anxiously down the hill towards home. As soon as she broke ranks, the mare leapt to head her off and drive her back to the others. Leah did her best to stay in the saddle as Dove spun and dived, preempting her every move. Aid stayed with the remaining cattle, helpless with laughter. When Leah returned, driving the escapee, he cantered up behind her and gave her an almighty bang on the ear. This, she observed, was the she equivalent of a slap on the back. The other cattle, possibly accustomed to being stolen, were a settling influence, and they rode until nightfall without further incident. As the path began to rise into the hills, Trian whistled from somewhere ahead of them and out of sight. There is shelter over the hill. We will stop for the night. Almost dropping with tiredness, Leah unsaddled and fed the horses and spancelled the cattle to stop them from wandering. The brothers returned, laden with firewood and arguing about who was going to milk the cows. Done, said Leah succinctly, indicating the copper cooking pot. Aid grunted and began to light the fire. Trian looked at her curiously. When did you ever milk a cow before, little red squirrel? Leah made the sideways head gesture that the she used to indicate the unknowable. She couldn't explain that it felt as if the knowledge was already in her hands. Trian smiled proudly and slapped her hard on the other side of her head. Leah's ears rang. She wasn't sure if the she regarded her as a sentient being or simply as an interesting and clever pet. The night was cold, but Aid and Trian were skilled with fires, and their meal was made more interesting by their acquisition of bread and cheese. They had also refilled their flasks with mead. Leah drank cautiously, curious as to the legality of the raid. It seemed to her that both theft and armed combat involved law-breaking at a complex and culturally specific level. She indicated the cattle. What will happen if the she catch us? Don't worry, little one, they will not catch us. But if they did? Aid looked as though he found the prospect stimulating. We would fight them. If they won, they would take our cattle and our horses. And me? The brothers glanced at each other. Yes. Trian admitted, they would also take you. Leah made a motion with her hands that indicated that this was the least of her concerns. Would the fight end in death? It might, Trian said, but that is not the purpose of the fight. It is a reprisal, not a duel. When our brother and Isola fought, death was the only possible outcome. That is the law. And what is the law about cattle raids? Trian laughed. Some rules are for breaking, and some are not for breaking. One day you will be a lawyer, a brahan, 
but now it is time for sleep. Leah slept, as she did on cold nights, between the she and the fire. At first the smell of unwashed she had kept her from sleeping. Now she found it soothing. Behind her, the brothers caressed each other's heads and shoulders as they went to sleep, talking quietly of past and future adventures. A brahan, Leah thought sleepily. I wonder if a human has ever studied she law. You have been in Ildahuk for twenty-seven nights, said the glyph. Aid woke her just before dawn. They're coming, he said. We must ride. Leah yawned and rubbed her eyes, wishing more than ever for a cup of tea, but Trian was already saddling the horses, and Aid had milked the cows. They passed the bell between them, drinking quickly. The path climbed upwards, winding through woods of larch and birch and mountain ash. Trian rode ahead. Aid and Leah followed, driving the cattle at a steady jog. She rode one-handed, as they did, anticipating the twists and turns, as Dove kept the errant cow from wandering. The pursuit was still out of earshot, but Leah assumed that a posse of vengeful she, unhampered by cattle, could move more quickly than they could. She put this to her companion as they jogged behind the herd. They will be faster, Ed said, but Trian is clever, he will think of something. A whistle sounded from further up the mountain. Aid responded and turned to Leah with a beatific smile. See, he has a plan. None the wiser, Leah followed his lead as they hustled the cattle into a trot. The path climbed steeply, high banks on either side overhung with bracken and gorse, and the cattle careered up the track without opportunity to escape. Trian appeared on the path in front of them, his horse standing sideways across the track. The cattle slowed, then halted. Trian whistled again. Leah looked at Aid, who gestured towards a seemingly impenetrable thicket. Leah still couldn't quite understand his intentions, but Dove was quite clear on what needed to be done, whirled on her haunches and dived at the nearest cow. Leah deferred to her better judgment, and, with the mounted she blocking the path above and below, the cattle pushed through the hazel rods, lowing in protest. Aid and Trian followed, whistling in a way that Leah interpreted as the she equivalent of hoops of joy. The thicket closed back around them. Dove followed at an enthusiastic pace, weaving between the trees. She jumped a small ditch, stumbled on landing and leapt a furze bush almost immediately. Leah saw the ground coming up to meet her and rolled, hoping that the bushes concealed no further stones. She rose, muddied and prickled with furze, to see her mare disappearing, tail held high. Leah ran after wishing that she was wearing boots. She found her companions beside a small ruined building, roofless but with solid dry stone walls. All three horses were secured to a tree, the cattle were enclosed in the building, and Aid and Trian were using fallen stones to block the doorway. Leah stood back, breathless and sweating. There was no room for a third party, and when it came to shifting rocks, 
the she were superior in strength and skill. The building, which she thought had once been a church, was surrounded by clumps of mossy stone. A village, she thought, from long ago. She laid her hand on the stone wall and remembered that buildings had once held a great deal of meaning for her. She had listened to their stories, researched their histories and planned for their futures. In them, she felt the presence of past lives, forgotten craftsmen who worked the metal, wood and stone, and the people who had lived and worked there. And she had loved them, as some people loved other people. But that life felt as if it belonged to somebody else, a long time ago. Leah remembered what Ronan had said about how Aldach was changing him. Me too, she thought, but I am going back and he is not. That is the main difference between us. The she looked at their construction with pride and pulled branches across it. Then they turned to Leah and explained what they wanted her to do. Your job is to play the hare, Trian finished in English. Leah grinned. I understand, and I am willing, she said in she, and repeated their instructions. The brothers nodded in approval. Wait for us on the far side of the river, but stay hidden. It is the territory of a different tribe. Trust the mare. They divided their provisions and returned to the path. Then, as the woods began to thin to low bushes, Aid went one way and Trian went another. Leah continued alone, following the track as it wound upwards towards the pass. There were no trees here, apart from the occasional windswept thorn. The hillsides were springy with rockin' and heather, and the path meandered between giant outcrops of rock. Eventually, Leah came to the rock that the brothers had described, beside a small stream and with a patch of rich grass behind it. Here, she unsaddled the mare, rubbed her down and gave her a ration of oats. Leah ate the remains of the bread and cheese while she waited, out of sight of anyone coming from below. The sun rose high in the sky. Leah took off her garment and lay on the springy ground. A pair of ravens cavorted in the sky above her with harsh and beautiful cries. She wondered if they were fighting or mating or dancing. All this is gone from our world, she thought. I will never see ravens again or drink from a stream or lie naked on the grass. Leah heard a whistle from the mountain above her, looked up and saw a train on the skyline. He raised a hand. Leah did likewise and turned to saddle her horse. She dressed quickly, mounted and waited, still hidden behind the rock. Its rough surface, studded with yellow and white lichen, reminded her of floral patterns on wallpaper. Some distant part of her mind remembered a time when such patterns seemed important, or at least a relevant part of the narrative. Another part of her mind was listening for the second part of the signal. Trian whistled again, more elaborately this time. If Leah did not fully understand its meaning, Dove knew exactly what was required. She sprang from behind the rock and took off up the rocky path to the pass. Leah hung on tight. Below her, she heard she voices shouting, 
and, to her discomfort, the baying of a scent hound. She lifted her weight from the saddle and leant forward as Dove sped up the hill, out of range of spears and arrows, but in full sight of the pursuit. I know how the hare feels now, she thought, and remembered what Trian had told her. Be visible. Be fast. The mare flew, hooves drumming on the hard ground, and leered it as little as possible. In one place, a stream cut through the path. Dove jumped it without breaking her stride. Behind her, the pursuit was following, but she did not think that any of the horses were as fast as hers. Cold air brought tears to her eyes. As they approached the pass, she felt the mare beginning to tire. Leah bent low over her neck and increased the pressure of legs wrapped tight around her, urging her on. Not long more, my darling. Dove galloped on, perceptibly tired now, and at increasing risk of missing a step and falling. Then they were at the high point of the pass, and Leah, remembering her instructions, sat down hard as they rounded the corner. The mare slowed her pace just as the road dropped steeply beneath them. Leah jumped down. The path was too steep to ride downhill, and ran down the hill, springing barefoot from stone to stone, with the tired mare trotting behind her. At last they came to a sharp bend, where the path veered to the right. Directly below was a cluster of Scots pines that Trian had described. The slope looked impossible, but Leah, following instructions, left the path and slithered down the bank. Wearily, they picked their way over banks of turf and stones hidden within the heather until they came to the little wood. Dove was breathing hard, the veins on her neck were raised like tree roots and her black coat was slippery with sweat, but she seemed unharmed. Leah led her to the stream that ran along the far side of the wood and let her stand, hock deep in cold running water. She washed the mare and rubbed her down with the remains of the lumberjack shirt and kissed her whiskery brown nose. You are my sweetheart, she said, my hero horse. We will stay here now. If they find us, they can take us. We are not running any more. The mare blew in her face and her breath was sweet with grass. Leah could hear the sounds of combat from above. Neighing horses, barking dogs, and she voices raised in songs of war. She wondered what would become of her if Aidan Trian fell in battle, leaving her without an escort and with no clear idea of how to get to the gateway. But that is thinking like a human. She reproached herself. I am an ill dog now. Then, exhausted from exertion and the early start, she wrapped herself in her garment and fell asleep. <laughs>